Are you ready to go the distance? Go the distance. When you're nearing retirement, it's essential that you have a written plan and know exactly how the plan will work. Life's about choosing where you want to go and mapping out a financial plan to get you there. The one thing you need is a plan. So what's the plan? Plan! Right now, plan! An experienced financial advisor can help you avoid potential hazards and find alternative routes. We pride ourselves in being different from other financial planning firms. During your initial consultation, we will get to know you and give you the chance to get to know us. Our friendly staff will make you feel comfortable the moment you walk in the door. Call Mark Eels at EFS Wealth Management, 712-224-4651, 712-224-4651, or log on to EFS4U.com, EFS, the number 4U.com. This is Mark from Mark on Money, and we are going to talk about what financial person is right for you. Is it an advisor, a broker, an agent, a financial planner, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because there's lots to choose from. And now, live from the heart of Sioux City, Mark on Money, with your host, Mark Gilles. The key is having a plan in place, knowing what you're going to do, a place where your retirement questions are answered. You could be putting tens of thousands in jeopardy. You'll get the latest news on 401ks and retirement planning. It can make a profound difference with what you can and can't afford in retirement. If you've got questions on how to properly structure your assets and build retirement income, you're in the right place. Welcome in to Mark on Money. Hey, welcome in. This is Mark on Money with Mark Gills. I'm consumer advocate Steve Siddall. Mark, of course, certified financial planner. He's a fiduciary, independent, better than 30 years experience uh, helping folks out. EFS Wealth Management is where you find him. EFS, the number four, the letter U.com is the website. Uh, hey, Mark, what's going on? Not a lot. Okay. You know, this is going to be um, an interesting conversation, I think, um, and with some good information to kind of wade through uh, all the hype that is out there. Because, you know, like you said, I've been doing this for over 30 years. And so back in the 1990s, the big thing was everybody wanted to call themselves a financial planner. Um, and you had to do financial planning and you know, who's your financial planner? Um, and, you know, I was a CFP back in the early 90s. And, you know, a lot of people wanted to be a financial planner uh, because they could basically say, well, I do financial planning, when in essence, um, the, the Certified Financial Board of Planning really couldn't do a whole lot about it. But to become a certified financial planner, you had to meet minimum education requirements, minimum experience requirements. Um, you had to pass a series of tests uh, with a pass rate of under 60%. Wow. And so it was not an easy path to get to in order to get those three letters after your name. Um, but anybody could call themselves a financial planner. And so it was one of those things where you could have no experience whatsoever, no licenses, and you could still call yourself a financial planner. 
Uh, and I still think that's that's I think that's true even today. But it would seem um, so. Yeah, I think so. Um, but nobody hardly calls themselves a financial planner anymore. Now everybody's a financial advisor or everybody's a fiduciary. Um, and so we're going to talk about, you know, some of those things because we had a conversation in our office um, earlier this week. And, you know, I was talking with Dana, another one of our advisors, about just that. Um, and, you know, he's he's currently um, – on his path to, to, you know, he's on his third or fourth uh, test. I think he takes a test tomorrow um, for the tax portion of the CFP curriculum. Uh, so I believe there's six classes to take and then a comprehensive exam. You know, it covers estate planning, tax planning, investments, insurance, um, and, you know, a couple other ones. I can't remember what they are, but sure. Uh, I, as know, there's six tests and then a comprehensive uh, two-day exam uh, that brings all that together to pass in order to to be able to have the CFP designation after your name, um, and then you have to uh, continue to earn 30 hours of continuing education every two years to renew your CFP certification. And you have to abide by a code of ethics. Uh, you have to b abide by uh, a fiduciary standard when you are uh, engaging people in the advice process. Um, so you know it's 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 uh, it's something that's very difficult. Um, you know, similar to the CFA exam, uh, very difficult exam to pass. Um, different. Uh, basic information. But the point here is, is, you know, understand that if you have, um, you know, you have, people have, you know, eight different letters after their name, um, that doesn't mean they know anything. That just means they paid money to get some letters after their name, because some of the tests that you have to take uh, require almost no study. Uh, they're fairly easy to pass if you have any kind of experience and time spent in our industry. It just simply, I think, is something that looks makes people look better. Um, it'd be like uh, I don't know if you if you're a medical doctor, you know, you, you have MD after your name. You don't need to have eight other uh, letters after your name to let people know that you know you spent a lot of time uh, in education, a lot of time um, in preparation for whatever specialty you're in, um, you know, residency, medical school, undergrad, um, you know, you've got over a decade of literally uh, education before you are able to hang your shingle out and actually um, practice with people by yourself, in essence. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and again, so, but have the standards changed over the years, uh, Mark? I mean, you said back in the 90s you were a CFP, a certified financial planner. That's what that means. Um, and th there was still that designation. It seems to me, based on what you said now about Dana, that, you know, things are things are tough. I mean, you know well, what I mean? They've, they've evolved with the years. And here's my point. You know, so if you're listening to this podcast, take this to heart, not only in seeking out uh, a financial 
um, advisor, a fiduciary, financial planner, wh- whatever you want to, you know, broker, you know, there's, you know, brokers, agents, whatever. Um, it takes, and, and this is, this has been studied over and over again. And I know you've heard this too, Steve, is it takes 10,000 hours right. to become an expert in any field of practice. It uh, doesn't matter what you do. There's, there's, there's basically no shortcut to that 10,000 hours to become um, astute and an expert in your field. So whether that is an electrician, a plumber, an accountant, a financial advisor, um, a dentist, whoever, it takes 10,000 hours before you are really astute and and can call and basically be an expert in that area of of practice. Okay. And again, that's the, I mean, and you certainly have that, but, and, and more, but those are the kinds of things that we should look for in a, in an advisor. And I realize everybody has to start somewhere, but again, to go with a firm like yours that that's been around for a good long while. I mean, that, those are the kinds of things that give folks confidence that knowing that, you know, you really do care. Right. So four to five year minimum to, you know, really four to five years, depending on how many hours you work during those four or five years or spent time learning your trade, um, it's four or five years. So you want to look for somebody that has at least four or five years, because I remember when I was first in the financial industry, and I think back to what I was doing, you know, 30 years ago, and I was just like, geez, these people gave me their money you know, took advice from me, that was great to let them practice on them because I look back and that's what I was doing. Um, you know, I, I was practicing, you know, and learning and, and uh, you know, hoping what I was doing was going to benefit them in some way, shape, or form. Um, but you wouldn't want to um, go to a doctor who was practicing because he might kill you um, because he doesn't know what he's doing yet and just kind of reading out of a textbook to try to figure out, well, is this what you've got is, you know, maybe we can try this or do that. No, that'd be crazy. Um, and you, your finances are so important. Um, mistakes made, bad advice given can literally cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, so you want to work with somebody that you know, has experience, number one. Um, and I think number two, understand um, whether or not they are actually giving you advice that's in their best interest, you know, or, um, you know, they have some else, some other, some other thing that they're, they're, uh, um, you know, what, what would you call it? Some bias or, um, you know, maybe they need to put shoes on their kids' feet um, and that's one of the reasons why you're being recommended to go down a certain path or, you know, they're trying to uh, make sure that their health insurance through their company is qualified for, you know, which saves them money. Uh, there's, there's a host of things um, that, you know, you've got to be aware of. And, you know, so back to my conversation with Dana. So... And I don't, and I don't really know if this is, you know, if this is the case or not. Um, 
But, you know, he said, you know, our industry is back to the whole thing back. It feels like it's back in the 90s. Everybody wants to call themselves a fiduciary. Okay? Right. right. Um, and I just laugh. Um, and, you know, Dane and I had a conversation um, about that. And, you know, yes, you can call yourself a fiduciary. But he said, is anybody really able to be an actual fiduciary? Um you know, he says, really, the, the only way that you could actually be a fiduciary or even come close to maybe being a fiduciary is to work straightly on a fee basis. Um, but even then, what fee are you charging? Um, is it a biased fee? Uh, is it a fair fee? Um, so, I mean, even the fee might be, you know, skewed to the uh, firm's interest and not necessarily your own so in my opinion it's hard to be a true fiduciary or if anything nearly impossible to be a true fiduciary in the financial firm and unfortunately that's what they are telling people you know people are being said well we're a fiduciary firm blah 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 but here's the here's the thing look at any of the ADVs or CRS uh, disclosures uh, from these firms and what you'll find on all of them is that there are potential conflicts of interest that they are um, letting you know about so they're saying yes we, we we are acting in a fiduciary capacity but we do have biases we do have conflicts of interest that may affect uh, what our advice is that we're giving to you so is it really then, are they really then fiduci true fiduciaries? Um, because almost all of them, um, and, and I can't think of any firm that would be able to say that we don't have um, a uh, conflict of interest in something. Sure. Uh, there's, you know, so then if you have conflicts of interest, does anybody really pay attention to what those conflicts of interest are? So I'll give you, I'll give you some examples. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, so these are examples from what I've seen, um, and, and it kind of can help you to understand and maybe help you choose who to pick from in the vast world of fiduciary advice, um, and see maybe through some of the conflicts of interest that are possibly out there. Um, and I'm not going to name any companies. I'm going to give examples. Good. Um, but, you know, one of the largest companies, they have television commercials on TV, um, and they um, are a large RIA firm. You know, their one line is, well, we're a fiduciary. You know, we don't do co cookie-cutter portfolios, you know, blah, blah, blah. But the thing is, is if they were true fiduciaries, you know, the problem is, is they manage all the money themselves. So, so you give them your money. What happens if something in the firm isn't going well? Um, you know, the, the, you know, they don't have the, the, uh, acumen to manage money properly. They're underperforming. Uh, they're not able to provide the service that you want. Um, but as a, firm that needs to make money and as a representative that's paid basically a percentage of the fee that you're paying that firm 
what do you think the chances are that your advisor or the firm would tell their clients, you know, as a fiduciary, we need to let you know that you should really look for another firm because we can't do what you would like us to do. Yeah, that's or not going to happen. Perf- or our performance is just subpar uh, because, you know, our investment team left and we, we have to rehire back our investment team because they all left and moved to a competitor. Um, and so our investment team really is, is, is non-existent right now. We're just throwing darts at a board and hoping you don't notice or read the news that, you know, there's been major shakeup in the company. They're not going to tell you that. Um, they're not going to come out and say that. Um, but as a true fiduciary, I would think that that's what a fiduciary would tell you. You but, would think so, yes. Yeah, but that's not going to happen. No. Um, they're not going to say, well, you could go to our competitor because they're actually able to do X, Y, and Z, and we're not able to do that. So as a fiduciary, we have to tell you that. They're not going to tell you that. No. So, um well, again, I think that just goes to, you know, you talk about a big firm and there's a lot of them out there and, and they do a good job. They do good work and all of that. But at the same time, you know, they are beholden to who they work with, right, to who right. they work for. And and that's what differentiates you and, uh, you know, the what you do at uh, EFS Wealth Management. I mean, you right. truly and are so fiduciaries because you're independent. You don't you are not beholden to anyone. We don't manage portfolios yeah. ourselves. We actually go out there and we manage the portfolio managers. So we pick from thousands of institutional managers. And so what we're looking for is the people that are at the top of their game because no single firm is going to be the best manager at everything. They're not going to be the best bond manager, you know, the best alternative manager, the best international manager, the best small cap, large cap, mid cap, you know, they're they're not going to be the best of all things. And so what we're trying to do is blend portfolios together, you know, find the best institutional managers, the best small cap, the best emerging market, the best alternative, blend those together in a portfolio and then manage those individual managers. You know, they're typically buying individual securities, individual bonds, individual stocks, uh, low-cost ETFs to build out a diversified portfolio. Um, But we have no biases um, over one manager versus another. You know, we're looking at performance. We're, you know, looking at cost, um, platform trading, uh, tax efficiency uh, when we build out our models. Um, and if we decide we want to replace one of those institutional managers, uh, we, we, we fire them and we hire somebody else. Um, and uh, normally we don't even visit with the institutional managers themselves, although we can. Um, you know, I had a phone call, um, you know, the other week from one of our institutional managers that wanted to visit about um, you know, what their outlook is and, and that type of thing. And those are good to, those are good to, to listen to. Um, and we do do that. Um, but we don't fall in love, you know, with an individual manager. We do that kind of, you know, because we know that that is a bias to have a, have a close relationship because they have relationship managers that reach out to us and you have to be careful about, forming a relationship that biases you and maybe keeping 
those institutional managers longer than what you would if you didn't have that relationship um, because that affects uh, your decisions. And so we try to stay as neutral as we can uh, in those instances because our, our, our um, you know, what we earn in terms of the percentage of fees off of the portfolios really doesn't change from one manager to another. Um, and so we're, we're basically manager neutral when it comes to selection of portfolios. And again, that, that's, uh, that's the differentiator with, with what you do at uh, EFS Wealth Management versus some of the others. And I think that people need to understand that just because there's a big name doesn't necessarily mean they're the best. No, and, you know, one of the things about big names um, is kind of interesting. Um, you know, I think our industry, you know, the, here's some statistics. Um, you know, the, the industry is shrinking. The number of advisors is shrinking. I don't know why because I think it's a very good field to get into. Um, you know, it's a helping business. Um, I think it's gotten more complicated. I think it's gotten more legalized in terms of, um, you know, what the heck do you have to do um, because of rules and regulations. I mean, it used to be we could open up an account. Um, it was, I'll date myself here, it was a carbon copy account form. And, <laughs> okay. it, was, and it was one page um, to open up an account. Um, and it was in triplicate, so we'd keep the white copy, the pink copy you'd get, uh, the yellow copy would go in our file. Um, that's the way we did it back then. Uh, well, today, that same account opening has got arbitration language. I mean, there's probably three pages of legal lease. Um, you know, we have to hand out a CRS disclosure that talks about what capacity are we working with you in. Um, we have to fill out, um, you know, why we're investing into this particular strategy. What other strategies did we consider? Um, and you know, that's 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 what we do in the background. Wow. I mean, it's it's yeah. We need basically one full time employee more, maybe one and a half more, just to properly complete uh, paperwork. Uh, compared to what it used to be. I, mean, I could fill out the form myself, you know, it was just sure. name, birth date, you know, tax bracket, you know, what investment level of risk did you want to take? And that was, that was it, you know, what, and then what type of an account was, was it a joint account, IRA account? Yeah. <laughs> Some of you probably can remember that far back. Um, it's, it's helping today that a lot of the paperwork is electronic, you know, um, so. You don't have to press so hard with your pen. You don't have to press so hard with your pen. Um, For those who remember carbon paper. <laughs> it can be just as, as quick, just as easy to open up an account. Um, you know, you could be sitting on a beach. Let me give you an example. Um, I actually just did this. Um, person wanted to, wanted to open up an investment account. And it's just like, well, what, what, what do you think, Mark? And I said, so I emailed them the proposal. And they said, yeah, that and explained what, what I thought, you know, would fit their objectives. And they said, yeah, that that's, looks good. Uh, how do we do this? And I says, well, I'll just, you know, I'll just email you the documents to DocuSign. You DocuSign the documents, um, and we'll just take the money, you know, right out of your checking account. Um, you don't have to do anything. You, just as long as you have a have a phone in your hand, 
Uh, you can open up an account and fund it, and we can invest it. You sign the documents. We take the money out of your account and, and done, um, you know, they're they're in Florida and we're in the Midwest and, you know, took a day to open up their accounts and fund it. And that was wow. it. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, again, things are easier, but things are harder. And, and uh, certainly the rules are, are more stringent than they have been. And that, I guess, is a good thing overall, isn't it? Yeah. And, you know, one thing that hasn't changed is people want to call themselves some name. You know, they want to be, a, a, you know, they have a wealth management you know, mm-hmm. name be- behind their name, or they have, you know, a um, retirement certified planner, something or other behind their name. Um, and, you know, that hasn't changed. You know, you have, you have, everybody's a financial advisor. Um, <laughs> sure, but they are. you don't need to have any education um, to become a financial advisor. Um, you know, another interesting one is, is, you know, a person working in a bank trust department, so we have a trust department that's biased. They don't need any licenses, no degrees, um, no education to basically talk to somebody about their investment portfolio um, and get them to invest money in their trust department because they're governed under a totally different set of regulations. So they literally could be... Um, you know, driving a you know driving a, a semi truck one day and sitting in the office, telling you that you need to put this money into X Y Z portfolio the next day without any experience whatsoever, no licenses, um, and that's okay. That's that's doable. Now that's an exception in our industry. Most of the time, you need to have at least a Series sixty five exam, which gives you the exam, which is the registered investment advisory exam to give. Um, investment advice um, to trade actual stocks um, and bonds and futures. You have to have a Series 7 uh, and a 63 uh, license also gives you some, you know, know, there's Series 7, 6, 63, 65, 68. You know, there's all these different SEC or FINRA licenses that that allows you to open up certain accounts and do certain things um, in our industry. And those tests aren't that hard to pass. It's just a matter of spending some time. Um, You know, it's typically a half a day test for most of those uh, licenses in order to pass those. And then you have your insurance licenses. Um, They're not nearly as hard as what it is to get your certified financial planner designation. Uh, which is what I have, sure, um, and I know, and one of our persons in our office is studying for it. So back to, so I'm just kind of rambling on. So that's okay. <clears throat> we want to talk about designations, um, but you know, like I said before, it's hard to be able to really be a true fiduciary um, without some kind of biases or conflicts of interest. So, you know, even if someone says they're a fiduciary, you know, they're going to have conflicts of interest. I mean, even we have conflicts of interest. Um, I think we have fewer conflicts of interest than what the average advisor does out there in our industry, um, just because we are independent. So we don't have proprietary products. We don't have, you know, uh, production uh, minimums that we have to uh, meet, um, you know, to keep our jobs. 
Um, and some firms have that. So you have to you have to realize, well, why am I getting a call? Why is this person, you know, the market's at all-time highs. Why am I, Why is he telling me or she telling me that now's a great time to invest money? Well, could it be that, you know, they need another $100,000 to meet their quote-unquote quota uh, of new money brought into the firm uh, because they might actually be fired for not actually bringing enough money in? Um, you know, just think about that. That is the bias of most large Wall Street firms. I mean, they have production minimums. Uh, typically, it, it, they're tw it's $12 million a year. If you're not bringing in at least $12 million a year of money, um, you're probably going to be terminated. Wow. That seems like a lot of money, Mark. Well, it, yeah, it depends where you live. I, I guess. Mean, yeah. I guess. Sure. Um, but it, it's, it's yeah. And, uh, you know, so you've got to look at those things. Um, I, can, I can tell you one thing is that, um, you know, as a 31-year veteran in this field, um, I'm not looking to pay a mortgage anymore. Um, I'm not looking to put my kids through college because they're all there. Um, I'm just looking to give good advice to people to help them be successful in retirement. Um, and bringing together all of those aspects of financial planning if need be. So estate planning, tax planning, investment management, all those things combined um, into um, basically putting the puzzle together. And, and not just focusing on one piece, which is all too often what is being done in our industry. And you're being told that we do other things when they don't. Um, <laughs> exactly. So, you know, that's that's pretty much all I wanted to talk about today. I hope that um, it's, it's given you some food for thought. Um, and again, you know, ask some questions, um, you know, and you should visit with more than one person if you're going to invest money. And, and you know, it's kind of like I tell our clients, if you've got, um, you know, insurance or you have estate planning, I mean, you want to review that stuff. You know, just like you want to review your advisor, you want to make sure that that is, you know, you're in the right place, you know. And because things change, you know, an advisor that um, – you might have accumulated money with over your entire lifetime might not be the best advisor to work with through retirement because mm -hmm. they might not have the expertise or, or uh, ability or focus in their practice to work with somebody as they go into retirement and start distributing money, so forth and so on. Um, so those are some things to think about too. Well, I like that. Again, very insightful, Mark, as always. And, uh, you know, I just think that those are the kinds of uh, lessons, if you will, that, that people need to hear and understand there are major differences in advisors and brokers. I mean, you know, like you said, anybody's going to slap a title on their name. Um, but again, there are definite differences and there are things that you should know and be aware of. And uh, that's what you did for us today. Yeah. And so if, if you're working with somebody, go on the Internet and just Google the firm name um, and disclosure um, and see once what comes up because they're going to have their disclosure documents. They're going to show you what their conflicts of interest uh, are, and they're going to put that out there in black and white because they have to. 
and then take a look at how is your money being managed? Is it being managed in your best interest or is it being managed in some of those things that they're telling you in the disclosure documents that they may have a bias towards and may invest your money into and it might not be in your best interest, but they want to make you aware that that is what they might be doing. So you want to know, are they actually doing what's in your best interest or are they not? Um, because they can as long as they disclose it to you and those documents are out there for you to go and read to see if, yeah, you know, why am I in all these proprietary products or why am I in this particular investment strategy or this particular fund company? Um, you, you know, it might be because they're getting a bunch of revenue sharing. So two terms, disclosure documents and revenue sharing agreements, um, look at that and then see how your money's invested to see if it is in any biased investments that are benefiting the firm um, in any way, shape, or form, and then, you know, use your, you know, you know, ask some questions. Well, why am I in this particular program? Because it says in your disclosure document that that is something that you get compensated more for, um, and you get revenue sharing from this company. You get, you know, um, other things, you know, that mm -hmm. are being given to you because of you utilizing X, Y, and Z. So you, you just want to be aware of that. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting poor investment advice, but you'll know whether or not it's investment advice, which is in your best interest or not. Sure. Well, that's, I mean, that's what it all comes down to, Mark. As always, it's a, it's a pleasure to, to talk with you about these things. And, and it's, it's such a learning experience. And I think I hope folks appreciate that. Yeah, and so everybody have a good day. If you want to talk or uh, visit, you know, EFS, the number four, the letter U.com is our website. And you can call us, 712-224-4651, uh, and we'll be happy to visit. Securities offered through Securities America, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. EFS Group and the Securities America companies are unaffiliated. Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims-paying ability of the issuing company. If you remember these TV shows, you're getting ready to retire. Whenever I see a big pair of feet or a cheesy mustache, I'll think of you. You got spunk. I hate spunk. I'm one guy who ain't prejudiced against anybody who uh, may be less superior than me. It kind of sneaks up on you, doesn't it? Oh, gee. You deserve a secure, independent retirement. A retirement that is prepared to handle pitfalls like inflation, health emergencies, stock market volatility, and taxation. You've worked hard for your money and will work just as hard to protect it and grow it. Retirement planning doesn't have to be difficult. Get the facts-based approach that you deserve, all at no cost with no obligation. 
call Mark Eels at EFS Wealth Management, 712-224-4651, 712-224-4651, or log on to EFS4U.com, EFS, the number 4U.com.